Hello, Internet. My name is Walter C.A.D.'s Fedchuk, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Final Cut Podcast, presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Uh, by now, we are uh, well into 2022, and we are still starting, kind of catching up on some of the movies that were there uh, at the end of uh, 2021. Obviously, uh, last week we talked about uh, the Matrix, new Matrix movie. I uh, had a lot of fun with that. And, you know, as we were kind of figuring out what other movies we wanted to get to, um, you know, before we sort of swing into Oscar season, um, Chase suggested this movie. And I really said, you know what? F it. Why not? Let's let's talk about this movie. I haven't watched a Disney movie in a very long time. So Chase... Welcome on to welcome on to the show. We are going to be talking about a Disney movie. Are you feeling the magic this evening? I you know, I it was a very magical film to say the least. It was a very magical house. I want that house, like a house that uh instantly can predict the things that I need and get me ready to go. My room would be in such a better state if my house worked the way that that house does. Uh, but I'm very excited to talk about this. It's a film that uh, a close friend of mine uh, was recommending for a very long time uh, because it's something that connects uh, very specifically with them. Encanto is very much about a Colombian family and they have a Colombian background. And they're like, if you watch this, you will understand all of these things about me. And I don't know that it was that, but I do think I had a good time with the film, which is, I guess, why we're here at the end of the day. Yes, we are we are absolutely here to have good times with films unless they're sci-fi epics <laughs> named Dune. <laughs> Except that one. That one very specific film that we're not going to let go. To the one listener we know is a big Dune fan, we're not letting it go. You should accept that and I hope you can find peace with it cuz uh we're not. <laughs> but as Chase said, we are going to and obviously as the the title to this podcast says we are talking about Disney's Encanto, which was released at the end of uh, November of 2021, which as of when we we're recording this was last year because it is 2022. And I I want to get right off the bat because when Chase suggested this, this is this is not my style of movie. I am not an animation person uh, in general. I'm not into like anime. I'm not really into cartoons. Um, you know, I sort of internally view them as sort of not anime specifically but disney movies i sort of very much view them internally as kids movies they are for children uh they are for families that type of thing and you know me being kind of a you know a, a young adult male just didn't really have much interest in that um which is why i don't know what ever possessed me to just agree when chase said hey let's we should watch Encanto." other than sort of the similar kind of kind of word of mouth and that it was such a good story. And I, I will say I was, I was almost feeling a little bit of FOMO because I never watched Moana. And again, I heard so many good things about that, but again, it just, it never really like never really grabbed me as something I had to absolutely sit down and watch. The last Disney movie I watched before this was frozen. And I have to say, I loved this film chase. I I really am glad that I stepped outside of my normal comfort zone and I gave a, an animated movie and a Disney movie in particular 
a, a chance because it was it was a wonderful experience for me. I I really enjoyed pretty much all of this movie um, from the beginning to the end. The music was catchy and captivating. The animation was colorful and vibrant and bright, and it was a much better smart house than the other Disney movie I can think of with a smart house that I think was a Disney Channel original, and I think it was called Smart House. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was it was a smart house. It 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 was exactly what the name said on the tin. There were not a lot of surprises in Smart House. It just was the thing that it was. Um, this is yeah. This certainly is much more dynamic than that, and the animation is gorgeous. I mean, those people who have been watching Disney and Pixar films for a while, this isn't going to be like some revolutionary step up the way that say into the spider verse was revolutionary in its animation style, but it is this style of animation done as well as it has ever been done on screen. And the setting is perfect for it because there's a lot of bright colors, both in terms of the, the wardrobe of all of our characters, but also the setting itself. Um, you know, so many different flowers and things that really pop in every single scene. Um, there's a, it is a feast for the eyes, you could say. Uh, and on that point, Disney nailed it. Uh, it's, it's one of the more beautiful fil animated films I have ever seen, uh, easily. By all means. And I, I did see Into the Spider-Verse because I feel like that was kind of like one of the few exceptions to, to my rule because it was a, a Spider-Man movie. I love Spider-Man. Um, but yeah, I really... I would agree. It didn't do anything revolutionary. It definitely still felt like the same kind of animation that I, I saw with Frozen. Um, but yeah, I think the vibrance of it, the, the bright colors, and just all the little nuances that they had, particularly in the house, all the little details, um, you know, emphasizing each individual family member's kind of unique style and power and all that just everything that was wound into it was beautiful to look at and there was always something on the screen to catch your eye that wasn't necessarily just the primary you know the primary focal point of the scene there was always something in the background that you could look at and go oh wow that's a really pretty flower oh i really like that color or oh that design there is really interesting and i feel like maybe i've been missing out on something by not having watched animated movies and Disney movies in the last few years. And I, I really, I wasn't expecting that. I, I don't know why I wasn't expecting something to be so intricate and so well-defined. And again, that's probably just my own preconceived notion of it just being like, oh, it's for kids. Like how, how, how in depth could it really be? And then I'm like thinking back to Aladdin and all the, you know, adult jokes they put in there with Robin Williams to, you know, pop for the, pop for the parents um that being said a lot of what they portrayed a lot of the color and everything does have this very sort of south american flair and this very distinct personality that i have personally not really ever been exposed to outside of you know the occasional cooking show that that goes on location or, or um uh, chef's table on netflix that would go you know into the andes or something like that um Coming out of this, did you feel like Colombian culture was really on display? Did you really learn anything in particular about it? Was was it educational in a sense? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that it was uh, much more accurate than we've seen in a lot of other kind of films uh, that try to do this kind of thing. I We're getting better about representation, especially in animation. Uh, I think it's a, a topic that 
uh, we see continuing to develop and we're seeing more films set in these different locations that have stories that have not been told for a very long time. And it's great to see that. I, I think that it makes for more interesting films when we're drawing on these different inspirations. And there's a lot of this development that was straight up uh, researched in Colombia. They, they took the time to talk to architects and chefs and artisans and all these different kinds of people in order to understand the kind of small town culture that you see pop up in this film and what that would look like, what that would taste like, what that would, um, how that would all come together. And I think that this film does that really, really well. I, I, I think that one of the things that they said uh, when they were going through kind of studying this stuff is that every town had a specific personality because of the, how the country's mountainous terrain divides and isolates individual cities. And I, I think that this is a city with a, 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 a town, I suppose, with a ton of uh, its own kind of personality. And there's that closeness and sense of community that's there because you all have to rely on each other. And I, I think with just the pure attention to detail, uh, the little touches go a long way. Uh, and I got to say, the food looks delicious. I've had Colombian food before. A couple of those dishes I had not had before and need to go get now. So uh, it, it absolutely succeeded on that point. The mom having the powers to heal with food is just mwah, perfect decision right there. Uh, I, I, I think that's something that uh, really hits home. And I... Like I said, I have a friend who is from a Colombian background, and they thought that this film did an excellent job in representing a lot of aspects that uh, may have even possibly gone over my head, you know? I, and I, I think that that is what's important about representation, is that people can see themselves in something while it's still very much accessible to the rest of us. You don't have to know all these things about Colombia in order to enjoy the film, but it might make you more interested in Colombian culture. And if it does, cool. That's a, that's a cool thing for a movie to do, you know? So very much enjoyed the uh, attention to detail and the amount of work that was put in to get the aesthetic and a couple of these kind of dynamics uh, as far as, you know, individual town cultures and how people interacted with each other as well as they did. I do think that's very important that, when you are setting something in a very specific um a very specific locale and you're and you're really pulling a lot from a particular culture you need to try and be as exact as possible i mean part of the reason a movie like hercules is so fun is because it is so true to sort of that mythological Greece that we have all sort of grown up with the stories, uh, the Parthenon, uh, you know, all of that jazz, uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, very similar where you need to be able to invoke that sort of revolutionary Paris and, you know, the cathedral of Notre Dame to really get that theming across in that way. And as someone who has, you know, very, very little experience with, uh, South America and Colombia in, I would like to say, in a, a less modern setting because pretty much any of my experience with Colombia has been like watching Narcos, uh, which I don't feel is a very good portrayal of Colombian culture at all. Um, 
it was nice to have this very dis- different and very distinct and you know it didn't it felt like Colombia from you know the little that I do know of the country from you know history classes um that being said they do then fall back on sort of this the family is magical you know the family uh, has gifts uh, everyone except Mirabel which is a you know very core theme to this and the portrayal of the gifts you you bring up the mom being able to heal with food like that makes a lot of sense for for a mother like the sort of you know adding mother's love to a meal does it just does something to it that uh, you can't really comprehend your your mom's cooking um almost always if not better it tastes different in a way that brings you back to your childhood um, what did you think about the powers in particular that were chosen for the family? Was there anything that stood out to you about them? I do know I had a I had a little bit of an issue with sort of uh, with Bruno's power and how he ends up being ostracized. Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's fun. I I do think that all of the powers are very well chosen in terms of adding to both the world and the characters, right? Like you look at, uh, you know, uh, the uh, you look at some of these characters. I think it's uh, Isabella is the perfect one. Right. And she's kind of perfectly representative of the uh, sister who seems like she can do no wrong. But in all reality, there's more behind the scenes than uh, than anyone sees. You've got the other sister. Uh, who is trying to be strong and trying to be brave and feels like she needs to carry all of the the family's burdens and never complain and you know the Louisa as a result there's that you know a fun song of, of her talking about moving all these mountains but never quite being able to let go um, you get the aunt who has like the storms that follow her and like her mood very much kind of vacillates from scene to scene. And we all have that family member, right? The, the person who um, is a little bit more uh, maybe uh, emotionally swinging from, from one end to the other based on what's going on in their life. And she's balanced out by Felix, who's just there to uh, have a good time and, and be the supportive husband character. And I do think that that's important, that there are plenty of characters without powers in this family, right? It's a dynamic that comes up regularly. And it's not only our main character who feels it, but our main character has a pressure to it because unlike the rest of them, like those people married into the family, they knew what they were getting into and they get to appreciate the benefits of having done so without feeling like they did something wrong. Whereas Mirabelle, of course, not having a power makes her feel like she absolutely did something wrong. Like there's something about her that isn't capturing this magic that all of the rest of her family gets to have. Uh, And of course, you know, there are a couple of them that are just there uh, either to be fun or to add to the plot, right? I I think that the little kid, I'm forgetting his name right now, um, but the one Antonio. Antonio. Uh, with the animal powers like that sets up a couple good scenes and is a fun, colorful thing that I think a lot of kids would be very excited to get that power. And so, you know, it doesn't need to have some sort of 
you know, greater symbolic meaning, I don't think. And the the one with the cousin that can hear a pin drop is good at furthering the plot because it means that she hears something that then gets shared. And so then details are passed on and it, it moves us forward in a pl- movie that otherwise the plot doesn't really have a ton of driving factors, at least not a ton of active driving factors, right? There are plenty of passive things going on that are building over time, but um, her character really serves to bring to the forefront what would otherwise uh, take some time to get there. Um, and, and and you bring up Bruno, who I think I I relate to his character and the position that he is put in within the family quite a bit, because... I don't know if you know this, Walter, but we live in a very interesting time in which a lot of people are warning about a lot of things that are inevitable to happen unless we do something about it. And people get very mad at those people for daring to say the things that we all know are going to inevitably happen unless we do something about it. Those people are seen as the problem raining on other people's parade, not the people doing the things that are inevitably going to lead to problems. And I think that... Bruno's character perfectly embodies that, right? He's not trying to predict that negative things are going to happen. He's not trying to bring them about. They're just things that he's able to recognize because of his power. And people don't like getting bad news. People don't like bummers, ultimately. A lot of people just want to enjoy their time as much as they can without having to get dragged down in that stuff. And having a a person in the family whose whole thing is pointing out all of the things that are going to go wrong and occasionally some things that are going to go right, like, that can be a bummer. People don't react to that well historically, currently. Um, And so I think that's done really well. I I think it adds a, a fun dynamic because much like, you know, in the real world, Bruno cares, you know? He's he's not making these predictions and sharing these predictions because he wants to spite somebody or because he wants to make them feel a certain way. It's just the thing that he has. He still cares about these people. He wants the outcomes to go well, and he would love for his negative predictions to be wrong. It's just, in this case, a literal magical curse that he has, rather than a deep understanding of historical trends that lead in inevitable results based on the stories of how humans always do things. Uh, here we get magic doing it, which is, you know, it's a Disney film. Of course it's magic. Everything's magic. It's, it's cool. That's, uh, that's not a concern, you know? Um, so I, I think it all works well. And I, I think that uh, having our, our main character, of course, be the one person that doesn't get a clear power adds a really good dynamic to where this film inevitably goes. Uh, I think it it sets the stage well. Well, and it makes a lot of sense overall uh, that, that uh, Mirabelle doesn't have any powers because at its core, again, you know, last, last Disney movie I watched before this was, was frozen. And so much of my experience of my childhood growing up with Disney movies is uh, it, it, it's good versus evil. There, there are good guys and there's bad guys. You know, I brought up Hercules earlier. There, there's Hercules and there's Hades, and then there's all the characters around them. It's very much 
a battle of good versus evil. Again, Hunchback of Notre Dame, the the, the Hunchback and Esmeralda uh, versus the uh, the the priests, um, the the like adventurers, like all that stuff. So I have this preconceived notion of what a Disney movie is supposed to be, and the the movies that don't really have you know villains. I felt more were like oh they're they're you know okay like up. Up is a great example where, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's kind of a villain, but it's not, like, it's not the primary story of, of the entire movie. The Up is about loss and about recovering from loss and, and you know, moving on with your life and, and dealing with the emotions and the trauma that comes from it. And I will say, in this movie, I was waiting for maybe a, maybe a little while too long for a villain to appear or for someone you know i i said not like I, I wasn't expecting bruno to be the villain i i that definitely wasn't in my head but for there to be an antagonist of some kind and when i kind of finally understood like wait there isn't an antagonist here there isn't a physical antagonist the movie really really started to to seep in and really start to hit me because the real antagonist to this movie is it's an idea. It's a thought. And it's this, this concept of familial and societal obligations and expectations. Because everything about this family, and, and we talk about uh, the surface pressure song with Luisa and the constant, you know, the, the, the townsfolk constantly coming to the, the grandmother, um, Abuela Alma, and the proposal and all of these things are there's an expectation that this family, family Madrigal, accomplishes. You, you know, we are we are the head of this town and we must do certain things to protect the town and grow the town and take care of everyone. And really, it was um, it was the song with Isabella. It was, it was what else can I do that really popped that into my head and was like, oh, that's what we're doing with this movie. And everything from there just really started to seep in and start to hit me from home. Um, did that, did the movie hit you in that kind of way? Did you have any sort of personal connection um, in that way about like family, you know, family obligation, family expectation or things like that? Absolutely. Um I, I will be honest, I am a sucker for this kind of plot. Uh, it is one that, that gets to me every time because, you know, I, I think it's always safe to say that family is complicated. Uh, for a lot of people, it can be more complicated than others. Uh, but certainly in my own life, uh, my relationship with my parents and my sister was not always at the place that it is now. Um, it's in a better place now because we've put in a lot of work and I set boundaries and I, I learned how to uh, get past some things that uh, Mirabelle learns to get past in this film as well. But, you know, I, I think that there's something incredibly human about feeling like you want to make the people who are your family proud. And that doesn't have to be a birth family. You know, I don't want to, di you know, disclude people who'd have a non-traditional family or who have decided for the sake of their own uh, needs that they don't stay connected to their family in that way anymore. Um, but I think whether it's, you know, whatever it is, you want to make the people you care about proud. It's an incredibly human emotion. And 
Maribel is trying so damn hard to be what she feels like her family needs to, to make her family proud, to be adding something in a family in which it feels like everyone else has this clear role where they fit in. And, you know, I only had one sibling, so I don't have quite the same dynamic there, but certainly like in, in my family, there was always an understanding that, uh, I was uh, more of my mom's favorite and my sister was more of my dad's favorite. And that would lead to conflicts when those things became apparent. And you would, you know, like, I'd certainly have times where I was like, I wish I knew how to get them to understand this thing about myself. But no matter how much I do, it seems like as long as I am myself, I'm never going to make progress on that point. Now, luckily in my situation, I was wrong. It took a lot of work, but we got to a better spot. And, you know, there's this idea when, when both parties are willing to make it work, you can overcome a lot of the hardships that come with those disconnects with the people that you're closest to. But it requires both sides. And I think that what this movie does a very good job of, right, is you know, at first hinting that it's the two sisters that need to make up, and that making up does have its own value and does seem to be making a difference, but it's it's really about the abuela and Mirabel. It's about that relationship with the head of the household and feeling like they're not good enough. And feeling that way sucks. It's a terrible feeling, and it does eat at you, and it literally, in this film, destroys the house that is so magical and has provided, you know, so many things for the family as a whole. And so when we get to the end of the film and that comes to a head and, you know, Abuela has to, to recognize that, you know, she may have been too hard on Mirabel, that she was focusing on the wrong things. And, and Mirabel has to acknowledge that her Abuela is a person, right? Their people are complicated. And people go through things, and people aren't perfect. Even, you know, these, these people in positions of authority within your family, whether it's your parents, your grandparents, whatever, they're not perfect. They're people with flaws, just like you. And when you learn how to recognize that in each other and can find a, a place to pull that back and, and, and come together on it, I, I think that's a beautiful thing. And it's the kind of thing... I, I will straight up, I cried. I totally cried at the ending. I, it, it got me. It will always get me because I, I can, because that feeling when it finally clicks, when it finally comes together and you feel understood and accepted means everything if you can figure it out. And not everybody can, and not everybody's going to relate to to some of these things. And some people are going to say that, well, actually, my family, we got along great the entire time, and I never had this particular kind of problem. But um, I think for a lot of people, this one's going to ring true, and it's going to hit home. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many people are talking about it uh, long after the movie uh, made its debut, uh, because it does speak to something very true uh, and something very real uh, in, in as far as the human experience goes.
Well, Chase, I'm I'm not going to leave you alone on that island by yourself. Uh, I I definitely you know tough. I had a, I had a tough cry. You know, I was I was watching with my girlfriend. So I you know no no sound. Just let 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 the tears you know a couple of tears come down the cheeks. Um, this movie really once I sort of understood that it was that the the villain the antagonist was sort of this idea of, of familial obligation it really hit home for me um it, it really it really touched inside and i felt a lot of the struggle um from from the three sisters here in that regard of you know as as you grow your your parents and your family, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, whoever, your siblings, they they create sort of an image of you, an expectation of themselves. Like, I know I keep saying that word, but I can't think of a better word. Um, but they create a picture of what they think or what they want you to turn out as. And, you know, you get signed up for, uh, for you know, after school activities. You get signed up for, for scouts or for sports or for dance or for music. Or for all of these things, and you're told stories about, you know, oh, when your dad was in, co you know, high school or college, he played the guitar, or, um, you know, your mom was in scouts, or, or your your uncle was a, you know, basketball player, or any of these things. You're told all these stories that help create sort of a mythos of your own family, and you're kind of placed in there. You play catch with your cousin, and he goes, oh, you know. Remind me a lot of your, you know, remind me a lot of your uncle. You know, he used to, you know, play baseball back in college and, you know, almost went to Major League Baseball, you know, played AAA. And, oh, I bet I bet you could be as good as him. Or um, I know, I know personally one, one moment that sticks out to me is uh, taking the SATs. Uh, I took the SATs once and I got a 1300 on it and it came home and I was happy with that. I thought that was a pretty good score. And my mom no criticism of her, but she knows she, you know, she knows kind of how to try and motivate me. She goes, Oh, well, I got a 1320 on mine. You, you sure you don't want to, you know, sure you don't want to try and challenge that. And based on who I was and, and, you know, what I cared about school or whatnot, I looked at the schools I wanted, the colleges I wanted to go to. I was like, nah, 1300 is fine. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that again. Like, there's no point. Like, this is a pretty good score, it, you know, better score than all of my friends, you know, so on and so forth. And this image, this picture, is sort of created. And then at some point, something happens in, in your life, the individual's life, so, so me, in my life, where a crack forms in that, that picture, that expectation that your parents and, and everyone else have created about you. And for the first time, you know, a piece of that picture falls away and you see there's a mirror on the other side of it. And you get a, a small glimpse at who you are. And for me, a lot of that was in middle school, I, I was exposed to and read a lot of political theory. I read, you know, the Democratic, I read Machiavelli, I read, you know, across the board, I read uh, Das Kapital by Karl Marx. I read all of this stuff and for the first time in my life, I had really decided I wanted to go into politics. I wanted to be a politician. I wanted to help people. I wanted to, you know, run for president, all, all that jazz. And from that moment on, I started crafting this identity that I wanted to do that. I got really into 
into social studies and history. When I was in high school, I did, you know, a speech contest through the Rotary. I, I wrote for the school paper. I had all of this stuff in my head. But the entire time I'm, I'm thinking of this and I'm doing this and I, I'm saying to myself, that's what I want to do. My, my lovely mother and father are telling me, you're not enough of an asshole to be a politician. Or, or very jokingly, well, how do you get to be a politician? You got to be a lawyer. Oh, no, no son of mine is going to be a lawyer. Um, and it hurts. You know, it hurt a little bit to, to hear that what you wanted to do, you know, you weren't right for. And at the end of the day, I, I did. I went and worked on a political campaign in, in 2012 and that image of myself shattered because I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. I, I saw how the sausage was made and I no longer wanted to do it. But you do, you start to have the pieces of this picture that everyone has created for you of what you should be all fall away. And some stay, some stubbornly stay up there because they are part of you. Um, you know, I was, I loved scouts. That, you know, was something that my parents signed me up for and I absolutely loved Boy Scouts. Um, you know, I have certain love for for certain, um, you know, oldies bands like, you know, or Bruce Springsteen that are instilled in me because of, you know, my dad. And that's the music that he likes to listen to. Um, but despite all of that, other pieces of you start to form and are reflected off of you. And Chase, there is a song that I think perfectly mirrors kind of my my thoughts and my feelings about this movie and, and the plot is you are a card carrying member of the lincoln park fan club <laughs> just take a second what song do you think i'm talking about i mean i i'm gonna guess what else can i do i don't feel great about my guess but that's the guess i'm gonna make if I said that this movie could have been made into an FMV like four minutes long on YouTube, does that help you at all? No. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. My FMV game uh, is a lot more lacking than you would expect from the Linkin Park fan club membership. I, I mean, we don't, I, we don't talk about Bruno? I'm not sure. Well, I, I, I'm talking about a Linkin Park song. And oh. while I was in the car on my way to work this morning... Um, I, and I was monologuing this sort of, you know, mirror and picture analogy that I've been using. Um, it didn't come on the radio. That it, it, that it wouldn't have come on the radio. That's not the playlist I was listening to. But numb popped into my head. Because I know at the time that I was sort of feeling how Mirabelle feels in this movie. That sort of like loss and not knowing your place and... and you know, as a as a high schooler, as a as a teenager into young adulthood, numb. That's the song that stood out to me the most, because above everything, I I wanted to be my own person, and I didn't just want to be who my parents wanted me to be. And at the end of the day, you know, I worked on that campaign in 2012, and I didn't want to go into politics anymore and i dropped out of college and i still have never gone back i don't have a, any college degree i don't have an associate's i don't have a bachelor's or anything but at the end of the day doing that 
and finally making that decision and really finally being like, no, I'm making a, a decision for myself led me to discover esports, led me to, uh, you know, meet you and start this podcast and really turn me in, you know, here we are 10 years later from, from, you know, that moment really turning into the person that I wanted to be and someone that I am proud of and also someone that, you know, my parents and my family accept and are proud of. And, you know, in that moment this morning and, and, I remember, you know, sitting there at the end of that movie and, and kind of having those those tough tears and just going like, yeah, you know, I I got there. I we had that rough spot where I didn't know who I was, didn't know what I wanted to do, didn't know how to be the person that, you know, the people I in my family and the people that I love wanted me to be, but in the end I got there. And maybe it wasn't the same path that you know, was drawn out for me when I was born in 1991, but I somehow still got there. And at the end of the day, this movie really, really hit me hard in that way. And I am, you know, as you said, not everyone had, you know, a rough, rough upbringing or anything, but I am definitely one of those people that this movie really just reached out and, and kind of grabbed me by the heart and said, hey, you know, I'm here for you. Let's, you know, let's be proud of who you ended up being. I am very glad that you were able to connect with this movie in that way. I am, I'm very, I feel very bad. I completely misunderstood the guessing game that you prepped me for before the show. That's the worst part is that you told me it was coming and I just didn't understand what you were asking. Oh my God. Just peek behind the curtain for the listeners. Just, I, Oh man, I'm I'm the worst. I'm the worst co-host, but I am happy for you. Uh. Oh, you are you are definitely not the worst co-host because if you were, we wouldn't be doing this six years later. That's fair. That's fair. I am I am the worst game show player. I suppose this is this is why I'm never going on Jeopardy. I would just oh oh that's so good. Um, but yeah, no, I just yeah, uh, it's a good film. It's really it's good at what it's trying to do. Um, I do, uh, I, 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 I may be jumping the gun and taking away your next question here, but I, 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 I wish I liked the music more. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know there are people for whom some of these songs here are great, but all of the things that I love about this film are the acting moments. They're the moments in which we really get to see the characters, bounce off of each other and talk to each other in this very real way, the way that you and I were just able to do so. And I felt like the songs took away from that so much more often than not. It was like everything had to go on pause so we could have the song that the Disney movies need to have because the Disney movies need to have their songs. And I just, with the exception of maybe we don't talk about Bruno, I would have been totally fine if this had not been a musical at all i i i feel like it it detracted more than it added and it's the only thing about this film that i i could not quite get behind the way that i wanted to uh, i you know for a while i thought maybe it was just because you know stephanie uh beatrice i didn't think uh had a singing background but it turns out she was in in the heights last year so i guess she does and I just don't think that she's as interesting of a singer as 
uh, the lead singer in Moana was, but I, I just, uh, everything else about this film is really good. So I just want to get that off of my chest so I can go back to saying positive things. Uh, I can, I can understand where you are coming from. Um, I do feel like the, the soundtrack relies on two kind of earwig songs in, um, in the family magical. And we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. I was like humming that for three or four days, just like stuck in my head. And even just looking at the line, like just looking at the song song title is like doing that to my head uh i think that's a very fun song um but i do understand kind of the it does have that sort of musical like okay acting 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 pause for a song acting 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 and i i slightly disagree i do think that the song adds something because the songs almost act um, in particular, surface pressure and what else can I do? The the uh, the song that Luisa and Isabella sing, those read more like monologues to me. And because it's a musical, like it's it's going to be in song form. But it does feel like internal monologues that are playing out for them. And because they can't just like come right out and say what they're feeling, they have to put it in a song so it can like not exist in reality in a way. Um, but yeah, other. Like, other than we don't talk about Bruno, the, like, I don't remember the lyrics to Surface Pressure or what else can I do. I don't re really remember any of the other music sticking out to me as much other than just, like, having the, like, the rhythm um, stuck in my head. And I, I do understand where you're coming from, that it doesn't detract anything, but it doesn't really add a whole lot to the film um outside of just it's a disney movie it's a musical like you kind of have to deal with it well and I, um, I think i'm one of those people who's just gotten a little bit tired of lin-manuel miranda um i understand why people like him i really like in the heights i i think that he's done uh some good musicals over the years and it's been it, it's it, i've hit my threshold i'm i'm i've had enough of his stuff. I know what to expect with him. He doesn't surprise me or do anything to mix it up anymore. And I, you know, you brought up Moana at the beginning and that was the film that I kept thinking back to. Uh, Cause that was the last Disney film I really, really loved before this one. And the, the biggest difference for me is that I, I connected with the music in Moana and the singing performances in Moana and the production in Moana more than I did with Encanto. And when I ask myself what the biggest difference is, like certainly there are a couple of things like this is a, you know, a, a Colombian film versus Polynesian, and there are going to be some, some musical instrumental differences and whatever else. But I'm also just five years later, I'm just less enthralled with Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, which I, you know, mileage will vary on that point. Um, for those of you who still, love Hamilton. Uh, I don't think it's going to bother you the way that it bothered me, but I, um, I, I think that had a lot to do with it more than anything else. Um, I, I can't, I can't honestly touch on that point because I have not watched Hamilton yet. That's fair. 
I still have I still have never seen Hamilton. Uh, I did not see Into the Heights. You won't like um, it for the record. Hamilton plays into the kind of America myth making that neither you nor I can get behind anymore. So you're good. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that that's entirely fair. And I do like that you bring up Moana because now after seeing this and having been sort of re-exposed to proper Disney magic. I don't want to say MCU. I don't want to say Star Wars because like whatever like that I, those don't feel like disney to me like when i grew up with disney i do now want to go back and watch moana because i feel like i have missed on you know missed out on something um that you know again a lot of word of mouth has told me it's very very good and i just my own preconceived notions just went like eh, it's not for me there's no explosions like why would i watch something if there's not blood and guts and gunfire um and I feel like that was kind of obtuse of me to think that and think that a children's movie, a family movie, couldn't say something that would speak to my heart. Um, I also just like not the biggest musical fans. I did, you know, participate in musicals back when I was in high school, but like the musicals I tend to prefer are, you know, more like Rent, Wicked relying more on like electric guitar and rock kind of um kind of backgrounds than more traditional musicals like i uh, like west side story they they redid west side story nothing about west side story i have any interest in, in watching that movie it's uh, it's a overdone high school production you know so on and so forth i'm sure spielberg does an excellent job with it but it, it's not my cup of tea it's it's not something that you could even passively be like hey we should watch this and i'd be like absolutely i don't know why i said absolutely um but yeah i feel like the music it doesn't hurt it um but it certainly doesn't provide anything that you couldn't have gotten in just a little bit more acting or like i said some monologuing um from the from the characters that it impacted um, I do, I do just kind of want to say that one thing I do miss out on with it being animated is sort of like placing the actors, um, to the characters. Like, I didn't know Wilmer Valderrama was in this movie until I brought it up on IMDb and I was like, wait a minute, Wilmer, Wilmer Valderrama is in a kid's movie? Like, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Look, man, he'll be in whatever you want him to be in if you ask nicely. I don't think he's the kind of person that uh, uh, that asks too many questions in that regard. <laughs> I think that's entirely reasonable. But yeah, I just like I thought maybe Bruno was Lin Manuel Mandar uh, Lin. Let me try and say that again. I thought Bruno was Lin Manuel Miranda for a minute, and then it's like no, it's it's John uh, Leguizamo. Like, oh, okay, that's cool, I John, guess. John so, Leguizamo, a.k.a. Luigi Guzama. in Super Mario Bros. Put some respect on his name, thank you very much. That's honestly, that's all I know him for, is being Luigi in a film, what, 25 years ago? Oh, man, it's good stuff. I have also never seen that film. That's fair. <laughs> I, I, for one, I will say this. I'm glad that you're more excited about animated films now because I do think that it is something that when we've done Final Cut, uh, we have not had a chance to go into as much as some other genres. And I think that animation right now is doing really, really well overall. Uh, I think there's a lot of really good animated films and that 
because of the way that technology has developed over the last, you know, especially the last decade, I feel like there are a lot of films that look gorgeous in different ways. And I am very excited just looking at all of the animated feature films for the Oscars. I'm going to be watching most of them. Uh, I was about to say all of them, and then I remembered the Mitchells versus the Machines is there, and we'll see. But the other ones I'm very excited about. Um, and I, I think it's just a fun time to be a fan of animation. Yes, absolutely. Come back at the end of June where we'll be discussing Lightyear. <laughs> Man. He says completely sarcastically. Can, can I just, look, this is not a Lightyear podcast, and I, I for this will be my only 10 seconds. Who wanted this film? Is it the same people who like saw Han Solo and was like, yeah, I want a prequel of that guy? Like, does every character need a prequel? Is it necessary? Is that... Or is every character had, built to carry one? We had a Buzz Lightyear show. It was on ABC Family. Like, we had a Buzz Lightyear show where he was an actual space ranger and fought Zerg. Like, I'm, I'm confused why we needed it. It's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> oh, but that being said, Chase, uh, I know we, we, we hopped off the rails there, but do you have any, any final thoughts? Any any last thoughts about Encanto, or I honestly just kind of about um, about the sort of state of Disney? Because I know for me personally, sometimes it does get lost behind Star Wars and uh, and the MCU that like, hey, Disney still just makes like good old fashioned animated family movies. Yeah, you know, I'm I I, I mean, I like this film a lot. If I'm gonna put a number on it, I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. Um, I honestly, it, it emotionally resonated with me in a way that's a little bit more than I would typically say for an eight out of 10. Uh, it, it did make me cry. It got there, um, because it plays on a theme that again, I, I have always connected with to a certain extent. That said, I, I think that there are other Disney projects that I have enjoyed more and the music when it comes to a musical, the music is a big part of it. And so uh, the only points I dock off are purely for that. Um, that said, I I think that Disney is in a good spot overall. And I'm interested in seeing Raya the Last Dragon. And not just because I'm curious why Lindsay Ellis got canceled, because it really feels like that one uh, escalated way too quickly. Uh, but I, 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 I'm just... Disney are making different kinds of movies nowadays. Pixar sometimes gets stuck making sequels that nobody necessarily wanted, but Disney doesn't do that, at least for now. Disney right now is trying to tell different kinds of stories from different parts of the world, relying on different mythologies that have been underserved for a while. And as someone who loves mythology, who believes that there are so many stories that are already out there that are just begging to be captured, uh, Great. Wonderful. Let's continue with this trend. Let's see more of that. Let's keep doing things that surprise people. Because I think that it's important to be surprised. And and look, is Disney appealing to all of these different cultures because they are doing it out of the goodness of their heart? No. It is profitable in order to capture these things and and. and appeal to a more diverse audience because that is the way that the market currently lands. Suck it, racist assholes. Uh, but 
at the end of the day, it's just better storytelling. It's just more fun to have stories that are different from the ones we've already heard a thousand times, from the perspectives of people whose stories we've already heard a thousand times. It makes for better cinema. And I love that that's where we're going, regardless of whatever cynical reason people are going to point to. This is not a defense of the mouse. This is a love of good art. And I do believe we are getting some real art with where things are going. I I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, just looking, uh, I just want to like touch on one point about them not making sequels. Uh, out of uh, their last 10 movies, they have made two sequels and one potential reboot if you count Winnie the Pooh. Uh, but that's just me being pedantic, and also I just wanted to click and be like, oh, what movies, like, what what had been the last movies? Because I know, obviously, Encanto, Rey and the Last Dragon, Moana, you know, those are three of the last five movies that they've made, and they are all from very different um, kind of settings than, you know, from what I'm used to from my childhood. Um, that being said, yeah, I'm, I honestly could definitely be convinced to go watch Rey and the Last Dragon um, I, I want to go back and when I have a little bit of free time, watch Moana. Cause like I said, I feel like I have, um, I have missed out on a, on a treasure there and yeah, I'm going to stop being such a stuffy old man and enjoy some family movies. Cause they're fun. I forgot how fun they are and how much they can touch at your heart. Uh, Chase, yes. that's, that's been a podcast. And I, I do have one last question. As, as we tell the people at home where we can find them, I just want to ask, what is your favorite Disney movie of all time? Of all time? You're going to do me like this right now? Like this? Oh. Yes, on the spot. I, I mean, my favorite? Fuck it. Beauty and the Beast. I'm going with it. It's perfect. It's a perfectly done film. Uh... I, I, I'm going to stand by that one. It's not necessarily a hot take, but I, I, of all the ones, uh, when it came to my head, that was the one that first popped. So I'm going with it. Uh, and you can find other hot takes like that at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can of course follow the podcast at rough drafts pod. Uh, hopefully you've been enjoying a lot of the uh, shows that we have been putting out there, whether it's narrative enhancements, which is either out or coming out soon, TMCR, uh, or Steam Cleaners, which is where we've been talking about uh, video games, or even K-pop shenanigans, where I, I goof around talking about K-pop because it's been a very good time to be a K-pop fan. Uh, we're bringing uh, more di uh, more content than we have ever brought before, and hopefully you guys are finding the things that you like and sticking with it. So thank you all so much for listening, and uh, let us know what you would like us to see. The Oscar nominations are out, so if there's something that particularly stands out in those nominations you desperately want us to talk about, hit us up. We'll make it happen. I promise you it won't be licorice pizza because there is not enough money on the planet that can make me want to watch that movie. And I'm sorry for doing you a little dirty with that question, Chase, but I felt like I had to give you a chance to redeem yourself on the, the Linkin Park guessing game song. Um, <laughs> they absolutely did not include Linkin Park guessing game. Yeah, whoops. My bad. <laughs> That's on me. That's on me. It was a bad question. I'm a bad presenter. Uh, but you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, my favorite Disney movie is The Black Cauldron. I love that movie. Uh, it terrified me as a child, but I I 
absolutely love that movie because it is definitely a hipster pick and everybody goes, wait, what movie are you talking about? Go watch it. It's fun. It's it's a great movie from the 80s. Uh, that being said, Chase. Yes. I know you and I know where we're headed to next, but the viewers don't. And guys, we have got a fantastic episode for you. We got a couple of guests coming on. We're doing a little bit of a crossover. And I know we said we weren't going to do esports stuff anymore. But something came out last year that we would be remiss if we didn't sit down and talk about it. So join us in two weeks when we have two good friends of ours hop on the podcast to talk about Netflix's Arcane. We'll see you then. Goodbye, Internet. GG. Bye.